You guys were here on the first night. It's good stuff. We appreciate your attendance. So here's the funny part. So Chapter House, the panel uh, publisher that this is, uh, sorry, let me start that again. The publisher that is running this panel is not here because their plane got delayed. So we are freelancers who do work for Chapter House. And now we're going to have this just like real smorgasbord for you. Uh, we'll do some introductions and we'll talk comics. And then we can really open it up because because we don't have a formal content because they uh, their plane got delayed. But we're going to talk about our books. We're going to talk about other comic stuff we do. We're going to take your questions. Uh, we will try and keep you entertained while you sit in nice comfy chairs. Does that sound all right? Do you do any juggling? I, I, well... Not literally, not anymore. <laughs> so, just time time juggling. We going across time. the board here. Introduce yourself. Are you talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's smoky voices. Yeah. I'm Ray Fox. Uh, I am writing Phantoma for Chapter House. Uh, I also write for many, many companies. Many I've companies. Written, uh, Batman Internal and Constantine. Never heard of DC it. Comics, Gotham by Midnight. Um, I write Underwinter for Image Comics, which I also You create I cre- Underwinter. I create Underwinter. Yeah. It flows forth from me. Um, I, I created Intersect for Image Comics. Uh, I've done a, a, lot of, a lot of stuff. He's a, he's a renaissance man. He does the art. He does the writing. Yeah. He stays out of trouble. I speak 17 languages. That's not true. <laughs> you, at, least, at least 13, yes. I, I, Are you the most fascinating man on this panel? Uh, second. second. Second most fascinating man on this panel. Uh, you're number one, by the way. <laughs> I don't even know that. Are you introducing yourself? Oh, sure. I'm Red Monroe. I'm supposed to be moderating this panel, but that's okay, because uh, Jim's doing such a great job of it. Uh, otherwise, I just host podcasts. Which podcast is that? Oh, We Talk Comics. Pimp it. Yeah, Pimp it out. Right. And where do they find that? Oh, wetalkpodcast.com. Ha! Well done. No, isn't it amazing? Is it available on iTunes? <laughs> yes, yes it is. <laughs> and, and Google Music as well. Brilliant. Well done. I'm Jim Zub. I'm also a comic writer. Uh, like Ray here, we've known each other for a long time. We met each other back when I was in college. Something like 45,000 years. That's not true. <laughs> Because we're very young and virile. Um, so I'm Jim Zub. I write for uh, doing a bunch of work for Image and for Marvel and, of course, Chapter House. This book here that you see blurrily on your screen there, this is, free, this is Freelance. Uh, so this is a, the newest addition to the Chapter House family. But in addition to that, I also write uh, The Uncanny Avengers for Marvel. I just finished a run on Thunderbolts. Um, I'm doing the official Dungeons and Dragons comic for IDW, and I do currently two image books. Uh, one is called Glitter Bomb, and the other one is called Wayward. So I keep myself out of trouble by pouring stuff onto the page. So let's talk about Chapter House because they're the reason why you're here. <laughs> Chapter House is a, a Canadian-based publisher that has picked up the torch on some really famous and wonderful Canadian properties. Probably most prominently is Captain Canuck. How many of you guys? Uh, I've read Captain Canuck. The new one or the old one? Yeah, right? Good stuff. Uh, did you read the original stuff too when you were growing up? He's got the shirt, I should think so. <laughs> Alright. So, uh, I don't know, I, I grew up reading that as well. And to me, you know, when you're younger, when you see these characters, you're like, oh, hey, Canada has their Captain America. This is awesome. This is really amazing stuff. And uh, the fact that this stuff is all back in the mix is really exciting. And so Chapter House has approached us uh, amongst a bunch of other creative teams. Canada has a lot of great uh, Canadian comic talent, and they're uh, really tapping into that to take these characters and bring them 
and reinvent them for the modern era. So tell us about what you're working on, Ray. Uh, well, Fantoma uh, is actually one of the oldest superhero characters in existence, as far as I know. Um, and Chapter House um, got the rights to Fantoma. So the original version of Fantoma was this like lady who lived in the jungle, and um, when somebody offended her, usually by upsetting animals, um, she would turn into this hellish, vengeful creature whose head was on fire. Um, so... We didn't have to update that too much. <laughs> um, you'll see Phantom is coming this summer from um, Chapter House, and, and it's actually it's going to be integrated into the sort of Chapter House world, so she does live in the same world as Captain Canuck and Freelance and all of these um, dudes and ladies. And um, <clears throat> so she is basically... Um, an urban legend in their world. She She's this... Um, ghost, this weeping woman who um, avenges the loss of children in this town that she lives in. But it turns out that who she really is and where her power really comes from ties into the larger story of the whole chapter house world. And it's, it's, there's, a, there's a few surprises in there. Um, Sue Lee is doing the art for it, and she's doing a beautiful job. I wish I could show you something. Um, the people who have something to show you aren't here at the moment. It's beautiful. You check it out. It's in transit, so you'll be able to see it sometimes. That's right. Yeah. We yeah. did we did keep the burning skull head though, because I think that, that was a heck of an image. So and you're doing it, it's a four issue first arc? It's a four issue first arc. Well it's part of this whole sort of the thing that Chapter House is rolling out right now, so the, the way the world is working is that they're doing these four issue arcs. Mm -hmm. They'll do two books at a time. So um, which two are coming out right now? Is it Canuck and it's, Freelance? No, no, so they're doing freelance and agents of PAC. So yeah, what they've yeah. got is they run the guys at Chapter House realize that um, you know, it can be tough uh, competing for everyone's dollar, especially in the comic book market nowadays. So rather than trying to roll out all these titles at once and say, hey, do you want to buy eight different books at once? And people are like, ah, I might buy one, I might buy two, but this is too much. What they're doing is this rolling series of mini-series. And so at any one time, if you want to collect the entire chapter verse, as they call it, all you have to do is buy two books a month. So there's, uh, you know, the lead title right now is this book called Agents of Pact, which is dealing with some of the aftermath of what's happened in the previous Captain Canuck series, and our book Freelance, uh, which I will talk about now. And so uh, once Freelance and Agents of Pact wrap up after four issues, the next set of two will come out. And we're just going through this rotation, so we're going to do you know more Freelance next year and so on and so forth. So you don't, if you want to follow everything and get all these really cool different parts of the chapter verse world, you can. You only need to buy two books a month. You can follow everything along and really get some fantastic content without feeling like it's breaking the bank for you to collect the whole thing. Mm. And you get some amazing Canadian creators at the same time. The idea, too, is that the chapterverse has this kind of overarching story, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's moving towards something. But each book uh, is... But each book is its own thing. So yeah. if you wanted to just read... Uh, you know, freelance or right. to just read Phantom or something like that. You can, and you won't suffer for it. You can, you'll be able to tell what's going on. You'll understand. But if you do happen to read several titles, it creates a richer experience, right? Because yeah, it, you'll see some of the background characters show up. It's sort of like in the, you know in the Avengers, all the movies leading up to the Avengers. Shield shows up, and Nick Fury shows up. So you see those kinds of moving parts behind what's happening in the chapter verse as well. So freelance is really quite fascinating. Um, freelance is the the second 
original Canadian superhero, or I guess comic hero ever. The first one is this uh, knight in armor whose name was Iron Man. So you can imagine why they probably didn't make an Iron Man book, because that sounds like something maybe you've seen elsewhere. But the second original Canadian hero that was ever created during World War II, uh, there was a really neat kind of history where, I don't know the full details of it, but for some reason, I don't know if it was like import taxes or some sort of strange thing where... taxes. Yeah, there were no... Uh, American comics were not being imported into Canada, and people were really crazy hungry for uh, comic book heroes. You know, the Marvel and the DC stuff uh, were selling like crazy in the States, and so it left a weird gap where these Canadian publishers were able to jump in and make their own pulp heroes. And Freelance was the first, well, the second original one that they ever came up with, and he was this globe trotting uh, kind of. Uh, guy breaking up smuggler smuggling rings and stopping criminals on the high seas and going across Europe and helping in the war and things like that. And so we, um, Andrew Wheeler and I were approached about bringing Freelance and his crew into the modern world. And that's exactly what we've done. So we, we've kept a lot of those pulpy kind of notes. And now he's this, uh, he's this globe trotting do-gooder who is working with a sort of a, a, a group, almost like a little espionage team, and they're stopping terrorists or they're, you know, kind of trying to do good despite all borders. So they sort of, you know, go into areas where people need help, uh, whether or not the government realizes they're there, and they, uh, they help people out. So um, Lance is this kind of interesting figure where he has a mysterious past. He doesn't know where he's come from. He has these sort of strange abilities and the ability to heal quite quickly, and he's, he's very, this sort of idealized man. And part of the first story is, and, and this was in the original Pulp one as well, but they never answered it. So we're sort of unveiling this mystery. You know, where has he come from? What is his true sort of origin? And how does he kind of connect to everyone, uh, you know, or connect to this broader kind of story? Uh, and the people that are with him, it's a really cool crew. They've got, um, you know, John Cabot's this guy who... Um, he has been an, a bad person, he has been a, a mercenary, and he has done some terrible things, and he's trying to turn his life around, and he sees in Lance really an idealism and a, you know the ability to try and do something better for the world, and so he starts to really aspire to impress Lance and to try and live up to those ideals, even though he keeps kind of his own moral failings keep dragging him under. And uh, in addition to what they're doing in terms of the, the pulp elements and these action elements, we sort of describe it like kind of, you know, James Bond or Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of stuff where they're traveling and, and going on these, you know, big two-fisted adventures, is there's also some great drama, there's some wonderful mystery, and there's uh, romance at the center of it as well. And so we're really stoked for people to dig in and, and really enjoy what's happening with Freelance. Uh, Andrew and, and the crew at Chapter House, we talked extensively about the fact that we wanted to have um, a really inclusive book. And so they go to, it's even though it's a Canadian publisher and a Canadian character, they're not just running around, you know, Canada. They're off to the Middle East. They go to Russia. They're in, you know, the tropics. They're doing all these really cool things and influencing the world in, in fascinating ways. And then the characters themselves are from a diverse background. And uh, Lance is still trying to sort of figure himself out and John is actually like falling in love with him like wants to realize that he's not just aspiring to be better like Lance he wants to be with Lance like they you know um, are going to be he, he wants to live up to those ideals and be with him and so we address that but it's like part of the broader story rather than sort of bringing a 
a homosexual relationship as the prime point of it. It's almost like a background thing. Like, it's just, hey, look, these characters are off on these adventures, and it just so happens they're in love, and we're going to go kick some butt, and uh, Indiana Jones it up. And it's just been a ton of fun to work on, and we're having an absolute blast with it. It's been great. And I just filled, like, ten minutes blathering straight at you. I apologize. <laughs> You're, you're good at that. Yeah, blather is my jam. <laughs> but uh, so, so then I guess, um, how has the reaction been? I mean, your book is out right now. How's the reaction yeah, been so far? It's been far? great. Uh, the nice thing is, is that the chapter verse has been really well sort of planned out. And like I said, these books are being staggered in a way that you can get everything, you know, buy these two books and you'll have the whole sort of story or just buy each one and you'll get something great out of it. And I think that, you know, the way Andrew and I look at freelance is we just want to make an amazing, fun pulp action book like this globe trotting you know butt kicking kind of thing and it's so easy to dive into the characters are big and broad and have um the morality is really straightforward you know in terms of lance is struggling to be to to be kind of an idealistic person in a very complex world so we get to play with this idea of he thinks he knows what is right and good, but the real world's a much more murky and gray kind of place. And how does that idealism slam into our, you know, really messy, strange kind of world, you know? I, I feel really bad for him if he ever meets Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what's so great is that the, what I love is that each book's really got its own um, flavor. Yeah. Like, you know, Phantom is this horror book. Well, yeah, like Phantom is, is, you know, it's really, it's the story of this person who is... Um, in a world, uh, she she lives in a a town um, near the border between Texas and Mexico. She is a Texan, and um, she's living in this town that's kind of oppressed by gangs and human trafficking, and and so it's it's a very like it's a very dark right. story. But ultimately, it is the story of a hero. Right. right. So when I say I feel bad for freelance if he ever met Phantom, I think like what I mean by that is that he has this this very pure and sure. sort of gentle outlook, right? Of like he wants to do good things because there should be good people in the right. Life. Whereas Phantoma is like, I want to make the bad people suffer for what they've right. done. But I think that's what's cool is that, you know, not only does it start, you know, atmospherically they're very different books, but that Lance, you know, what he's coming up with, when he, and he, he even sees this in John, as John's failings or moral, you know, sort of difficulties and sort of realizing that there is no easy solution. You can't just tell people to do better and be better. You have to hold an ideal and then you have to try and cling to it when the world is battering you down and sort of saying it's not that simple it's not just about beating the bad guy it's fine too because we're I, you know we're doing these books so you can't ignore the fact of the state of the world when you're writing something no matter yeah no matter what um and uh uh you know this is escapist fiction right and it's it's pulp and all that but you can't ignore the fact that the world right now seems to be turning in a in a nasty direction right so at the very least i'd say a very cynical, you know, people's moral high ground seems to be falling out from under them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, so it's neat to me to see the, the way different people approach heroes in this kind of world, and uh, and talk about what makes a person a hero, make what you know what makes a person decide to do some good. So yeah, you know, it's 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 weird too because as comics become more and more mainstream culture, you know, as they influence more other media and we see these characters and they're put in so many different lights you know uh whether you're trying to keep the original elements of that but update it 
I think it's a really fascinating exercise to sort of say what stays and what goes, what elements are crucial to the center of this, the core of this character, and what stuff needs to be updated, you know? Do you see, I mean, you know, you, you've seen some of the products so far, uh, do you see anything um, specifically Canadian about this stuff? Hmm, I mean, that's interesting, because the next question that I was going to ask you guys was about how exciting is it to be working on a Canadian universe? Mm -hmm. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, I'll say for myself, when I saw that Chapterverse was doing a, a universe around it, I actually got really excited because that's the kind of thing that I'm into. Like, you know, I, I would be less interested in reading the DC universe and the Marvel universe, and now suddenly I'm like, ooh, Catholic Canuck universe, I'm down with that. I think it's it's a unique challenge. We talked about this at a panel we did, um, you know, at the... Um, the Toronto Comic Con a, a couple months ago, and there was this discussion of what makes these books uniquely Canadian, and it, it was sort of a strange discussion because obviously we're so influenced by American entertainment, but on the other hand, I feel like a character like Lance, who yes, he's very capable of getting into fisticuffs and kicking butt, but that it's not necessarily like a vigilante kind of approach per se. I think perhaps only a Canadian hero would call it fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. <laughs> But this idea of, you know, can you, yeah, I guess can you hold the moral high ground in a world where it seems like everything's falling out from under you, or is there, you know, is there still that idealism? It's funny, though, because, I mean, um, Canada itself has a reputation of being sort of high, morally, yeah, <clears throat> of being, like, not down in the dirt with, like, America and sure. Russia historically, right, and China and all that, so it's kind of neat to see that sort of filter into some of the characters. It's funny because I'm, you know, I am writing a character who, in the book, she's American, but she will tie into this very Canadian universe, Yeah. Um, so it's kind of neat. One of the things I like is that it's, it's in some aspects, it's very centralized in terms of Canadian, so Can uh, Captain Canuck in particular has got, obviously, Canada at its core, yeah. but these other books that sort of spoke out from the same setting, they're not just hammering home every single thing has to be in Canada every well, single Well, they do aspect. kind of descend southwards, right? Yeah. Like it's, there, are, there are some of the books that will involve organizations that are in the States. Right. And then there's Phantom down at the bottom border of the States, right? So there, there is kind of a North American thing. Yeah. In freelance, we crisscross a lot. I, like, we open up in South America, and then we end up going to the Arctic, and then we're over into Europe by the end of the first story, and that's all I'm four issues. It's pretty nuts. Um, but I really like the, the element of that, that these characters feel like they have influence in a broader sense rather than just being like, all right, we're here to save Regina or something, you know, like, not there's anything wrong with that, it'd be great, but like, that it's more than just that, that, it, that these characters have broader sort of influence in this world. And the, they do the medicine more. hat crisis. The medicine hat crisis. Yeah, exactly. Now I just want to brainstorm amazing. We're going to do it. I'm yeah. doing it. The Kenora Chronicles. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're totally doing it. <laughs> but, but seriously, you know, when the chapter house guys were talking to us, I think there was this idea of, look, there's a phenomenal amount of comic book talent in Canada let's really tap into that well this is a funny thing you know I, I did a book for Random House um, called The Spectral Engine that's specifically about the ghosts of Canada it's really and, great uh, and, you guys gotta read it seriously um, it's, it's funny because there was a number of people who were like oh well if they're just in Canada like you know, is anyone else going to want to read it? Anyone outside of Canada? And I find people do want to read it, right? Like, why wouldn't they be interested? Yeah, but people like to read, like, Chinese ghost stories. People like exactly. to read about European myths. It's not like all of a sudden, well, 
it's in another country. I can't possibly enjoy this. <laughs> but but we're having this with Chapter House too, right? That every once in a while somebody's like, oh, does it all take place in Canada? And you're like, first of all, Canada's huge. Secondly, right. it's cool. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little biased, but it's great. Yeah. Okay. But it's enormous, right? Like, yeah. Are you going to be like mm, our next title? Yeah. Healthcare. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> it's really amazing. I don't like every possible kind of weather. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the climates. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. You know where you can hide a body in northern Ontario? No one had ever find it. There's a story in that. Well, and isn't it true that great comics are just great comics? Like, yeah, absolutely. Does, does it matter where they come yeah, from? Yeah, I should. People read I believe European comics yeah. here and... Uh, you know, all sorts of things. I believe so. that strongly. And I, and I, like, that's the thing, right? Like, you can find, like, the very best of certain kinds of comics can come from anywhere in the world, right? And the, yeah, when you look at the sheer number of creators in Toronto, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't fully appreciate it for quite a while. And then we would pull together, there's a book launch in town, and all of a sudden there's, yeah, like, there's, there's something in the water. 20, 30 creators. Well, I think we joked around, someone asked why there's so many Canadian comic creators, and someone quite rightfully said, well, because if, if things go wrong, you actually do have like healthcare to fall back on and stuff. Like your That's average right. freelancer in the States has one bad thing happen. We survive. To them. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can take an ambulance and there's also I mean financially ruined. Fiona did light the, the beacon. Oh yeah. We all responded. It's true. Right. It's true. Yeah. It's fascinating though when you when you realize how many people are doing stuff and the great work that comes out of uh, and that's true of a lot of different art, you know, whether it's writing or uh, animation or comics, video game stuff. I like this. I'm sorry. There's a, what? There's a super darkness in being like, well, you know, we have a lot of great artists because we have healthcare. <laughs> it is dark. It is dark. Oh, it's sort of morbid like, in a way. There's a world of artists out there who are like, um, I, I got a, I got a bad tooth, and they just die. And <laughs> Like, <laughs> we're all like, there goes the competition. Yeah, right. All I, I, right. I can't afford to have it fixed. And more like, poutine. More Let's stop this hard. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll just keep eating. It's uh, it's fun stuff, though. I, and it, it, it's nice to have that kind of, you know, as corny as it sounds, there is an element of pride to it to say, hey, this is a Canadian publisher making Canadian books, but that can play to a larger, broader audience. And we can, you know, put these out into a market and, and stand on our own. I think that's really amazing. Yeah. Not that I mind doing stuff for other well, companies. And but. I, you know, I'm actually wickedly proud of my country. So What? Yeah. Crazy talk. There you go. Yeah. I said it out loud. Well, yeah. um, they, most people, yeah, the only, when you say you're from Canada, the only thing is, oh, I bet you, you want to write Alpha Flight. You're like, oh, come on, guys. More to <laughs> I'm also super tired of setting things in Manhattan. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, there's a project right now I'm doing, uh, and we're trying to come up with more kind of unique and exotic locations. And so I just find a cool visual. I found this really amazing. There's these weird sort of stepped farming uh, villages on the edges of, on the sides of these mountains in Peru. I just thought it looked so incredible. I was like, wouldn't it be great to have a fight there? People like crashing down these stepped weird things. So I sent the reference around to everyone and they were like, yeah, okay. I was like, good. More strange, amazing, exotic places. Like not New York. Not New York. Yeah. Yeah. Not New York. Yeah. But but Times Square. Everything happens in Times Square. Yeah. So we've yammered a little bit. Um, Do you want to ask us about comic stuff? It doesn't have to be Chapter House. No offense, guys. Though I'm sure Chapter House would be. But I'm sure Chapter House would be thrilled if you did. But if you want to ask us about, about making comics, about convention stuff, about... Any of the, the work or, or process or any of that? I I was a teeny bopper for the CIA, so if anyone wants to ask about that. Wow. 
to be able to t-shirt. Hey guys, um, first up I just want to say like the Chapter House books are so exciting right now because it, it feels like reading them, it feels like early 60s Marvel. Oh, it's thanks. got that kind of feel of like, oh hey, it's Nick Fury, but he's in the Fantastic Four comic or like whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of energy. It's, it's, it's really got that exciting, welcoming, inviting, pro-fan kind of energy. It's been really cool. I have one question for Jim and I got one question for Ray. Okay. So Jim, oh. uh, you're working with Andrew on Freelance. You're mm -hmm. also doing a lot of other books. Yeah. So you're very busy. Yes. Andrew's recently not very good. Right, because of the Comics Alliance. Yeah. He was the editor-in-chief at Comics Alliance. For those of you who didn't know, wonderful website that was just core to the community. And the people that owned them decided to fold up the site. So Andrew um, you know, is transitioning to full-time writing now. So my question is, what's, what's the partnership with YouTube like writing freelance? Sure. Um, in terms of like, I guess, like the breakdown of that part. Yeah, so early on, we were both approached about the book, and I had to be honest with them that my time was really crunched. I had just gotten this opportunity to do a monthly superhero book at Marvel, and obviously I didn't want to drop the ball on that, but I felt very strongly about freelance, and I still do. I really love that we were able to build this thing. And so Andrew and I, the good thing is he doesn't live that far from me, so he came over to my house and we did, we broke the initial story in a day. We just went through it really hardcore. These are the beats, this is what I think needs to happen, this is how we're going to sort of build it all out. And then um, Andrew wrote the initial outline based on our mutual story. It went through a few different revisions, we all chimed in on it. Once it got approved, we both jammed on that first script, and then um, what happened was my schedule got just berserk. So Andrew started doing the first draft on the script, and then I would do the second draft or subsequent sort of jumping in. And Andrew is an incredible writer, but he's, previous to this, he's only had one real major comic release. He did a book for Oni Press called Another Castle, which is great, and you guys totally should get it. It like upends a lot of these wonderful kind of fairy tale uh, cliches of, of sword and sorcery stuff. Um, so Andrew... Um, you know, is really kind of building his repertoire as we go. So I would just make a lot of suggestions or this is how we can increase the impact of this or this is how we can strengthen because I love doing the action stuff, you know. And he's really uh, worldly and well-researched, so he was the one always pushing, hey, let's do this crazy exotic locale. And I was like, well, what's all that about? And he would send me a ton of articles and we would dig in. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I haven't done a lot of co-writing before. Um, I've done this one, and then I did, um, with Gail Simone, we did Conan Red Sonja together, and that was a blast as well. But other than that, most of the time I'm used to just doing my own kind of writing, and having someone to bounce stuff off of was a lot of fun, and uh, Andrew's a really good collaborator, and so we definitely want to dig in on the second series of Freelance. And uh, what's really amazing is is... Just having that other set of eyes or having that other, you know, there's an editor there as well, but just that I can, when I see the book, I can see parts that are distinctly me voice-wise or, you know, a little quip or a particular action sequence or, or visual set piece. And then there's stuff that is so clearly Andrew bringing it into it. But if the reader doesn't know, I think that's kind of fun. You get this cool mercurial quality of both of us contributing. Thanks, Jim. Um, and Ray, um, moving Phantom up from a kind of jungle, Shan of the She-Devil kind of setting to this kind of more um, small-town Texas, I guess, setting. Was that your pitch, or was that Chapter House's idea? That was my pitch. That was your pitch? I mean, Chapter House wanted me to somehow, you know, bring her closer to the rest of the universe and um, 
update her. Um, they were not, I think, crazy about the um, jungle setting for her, um, and it just felt outdated, yeah. right? Um, and so I um, came to them with this idea. I was like, you know, we're really limited in the sort of wilderness stories, um, but I wanted to talk about something that's in the world that we all know. Um, so I pitched them the small town thing and, and um, you know, we chose a locale for it together and went from there. And um, are you going to be leaning into any of that kind of Fletcher Hanks surrealism in the book? Um, it's hard I might to... want to explain that to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of my books are a little surreal. That's true. <laughs> um, it's hard to keep me away from that kind of stuff, right? Um, I do love it. I do love the sort of, you know... Um, so the original creator had some yeah. twistedly weird stuff yeah. there, um, just out there. I'm not, I'm not quite touching on that stuff. Um, but there are some quite bizarre nightmare sequences in this story, and also some of the things Fantoma herself does are pretty weird. It's weird taking an old property and kind of updating it. Like I was saying before, what do you pick, you know, to keep and what do you to lose? It's well, it's an interesting thing because it's like, well, what is it about this character that appealed to people in the first place? Sure. And what is it about her now that may seem old-fashioned? Right. 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 Or unacceptable. Out of its time. Well, in right. some cases, a lot of the books from that time, there's a casual kind of xenophobia and racism that yeah, runs a through a lot amount. of the books, and yeah. you don't. I think what's scary to a modern reader is it seems so matter-of-fact because it's not like, not that it's good to ever do this, but if someone goes out of their way to be offensive, there's a sense of like, oh, you're trying to stir the pot. But this casual, you know, your grandparents or great-grandparents, our, our great-grandparents, the, the type of just casual way they would, you know, reference other cultures and this goes through all the entertainment and you're just sort of taken aback by how harsh it is and you just go, whoa, I can't can't believe this is in there and you're like okay obviously none of that's going to move forward but even still what can we do to broaden or what can we do to strengthen those core ideals you know of this of the, the material <clears throat> yeah and there's certainly nobody in this book uh, expecting Fantoma to be a frail girl it's more like people are running from her in terror so <clears throat> you had a question uh, yeah a bit more on the publishing side of things sure since 2009 and 10 the rise of digital has certainly become a thing. I mean, mm -hmm. now Marvel gives a free digital code for every physical book you buy and so yeah. on and so forth. I even talked to some of the creators over in the hall here a lot and say, yeah, they've actually kind of dropped paper and paper digital and they buy collected editions. Do you guys see that as an emerge as a continuing to accelerate buying trend that one day we're going to have it that most of the sales are digital and then you have the physical ones are going to be hardcover with really nice paper and pristine and all that stuff. Do you see <clears throat> flipping over from the cheap stuff is digital and the expensive stuff is print? Um, I'm never going to say never because year to year, I, I look carefully at the statements on all my books at every company and year to year the digital sales are increasing. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how much I would say they're taking a bite out of paper sales. I think paper sales, in the last few years, paper sales have increased at almost the same rate as they the digital seem sales. additive. That's what's amazing about yeah. digital is it feels like a digital audience is joining comics, or some people are switching over, but other people.
people are very nostalgic or at least invested in the original floppy comics. And so I don't think it's as simple as just saying one will eclipse the other. You're it's de- definitely happening. You are describing what's kind of an ideal to me, which is a, a sort of to, to have this added value on the paper books, to have the production value be really mm-hmm. high, and then the digital books be the sort of basic version, right? Because they're cheaper to deliver and they're cheaper to receive and to produce, right? Um, so, I, you know, I would love it if, if the paper versions become kind of director's cut really nice pieces but I don't that's not happening yet yeah you know um, and I think the main reason it's not happening yet is because paper sales are are healthy as well as um, the digital sales what, what's fascinating is that we're in such a an upheaval in terms of entertainment delivery you know in every area whether it's TV movies video games all this is moving to these digital platforms and it's creating this fascinating element that I've talked to a lot of my friends about where the archives are so deep and they're so broad I mean if you don't want to listen to new music you can forever dig into archives of old stuff and there were always oldies radio stations but now you can focus so tightly on one particular thing like when a new comic comes out I'm writing Uncanny Avengers if you don't like I hope you love my book, but if you don't like the Avengers that I'm writing, you can dig into the Marvel Unlimited or the Comicsology archives and read Avengers books till your head falls off and never run out, you know, because there's so much material in those archives. We're not just competing with new material, we're competing with everything it feels like that's ever come out. So there's this real sense of you better be worth it. You better be worth people's time. You better be worth their, their dollar. And that can be, it's intimidating in a lot of ways. Same thing with television. I think one of the reasons why you're seeing the the quality of TV that we have nowadays is because, you know, or first of all, the special effects and the production values in digital uh, film is that much, you know, better looking and the effects are done cheaper and easier. But not only that, but you can tell more complex stories because people can stream and get caught up on it. So you don't have to worry about making them unbelievably episodic where people can drop in and out at any moment and you know what the score is because these characters will never really change. But also, you know, that you need to compete against these archives. You know, if I, if I wanted pithy kind of, you know, uh, um, disposable entertainment, I could watch sitcoms forever from the 80s and 90s. And now it's like if I want a really compelling, deep, involved drama, there are so many more options because that's what people are digging in on, you know? Certainly to that point, though, I have experimented with um, details of books that are only deliverable in paper, right? So you can get the digital version of some of my books, but you won't get the paper feel. You won't get stuff like spot glosses that can actually be part of the story. Um, I'm going to brag about Ray's book because he's not going to adequately brag enough. Okay, so (laughs) what year did it come out? Which one? One Soul. Yeah, that came out in 2010. I know it's weird that we can't remember. 2011. So 2011, Ray released a book called One Soul. was nominated for an Eisner for Best Graphic Novel, which is like Best Picture of Comics, okay? And the reason why it's so brilliant and the reason why it's so unique and it can't be reproduced in other mediums is because it's essentially, it's a, every uh, element of it, it's a two-page spread with, there's nine on each. There's two. It's a nine-page. It's a nine-panel. Nine-panel nine page. The classic nine-panel nine grid. So you get an eighteen-panel spread. But what it is is each page is each of those panels is a character's life, and it starts at birth. So if you read the book, you can literally follow one panel in the same position on every two-page spread and find that person's life 
and follow it all the way to the end. Or you can look at the entire thing and realize that these are people from different times. These are people from different parts of the world. These are people going through unbelievably different strata and, and difficulties or uh, living you know, incredibly uh, easy lives or difficult lives. But that our lives, that we have one soul, that we are all, we have similar experiences. That's a bigger picture. But this was the result of me thinking about wanting to do a comic book that could only ever be a comic book. That doesn't, and in print one in particular. Yeah, that only ever be really successful as a print book. And, and because you can't, you can only process so many streams of information at once in film or television or or If it was moving, it would just be a jumbled mess. You'd, you'd be looking at... 18 different stories at once but in comics you can process 18 stories at once and you can and you go can backward and forward you can do it any way you want you can move back and forward through time with comics and uh, and you couldn't do that with prose the way it's done in a comic and you couldn't do that with film and that's the kind of thing that like I think you may start seeing projects like that where it's like you can get it digitally and it works but if you but you won't really see how it was created until you see it on paper and the as you know as a character dies their panel goes black and so there's these holes in the narrative that start to form, and as people, more people die and they drop away, the what's left feels like these survivors that have endured and gone through all these things, and sometimes these thoughts from the afterlife, what was their life worth and what have they done? And this is like beautiful, incredible, poignant work that Ray doesn't brag about enough, and uh, you know, unique to the form and unique to print. And so I think it's really crucial that that we look at these mediums and sort of say, you know, people talk to us and they say, wouldn't it be great if your creator-owned book, I turned to a movie. You know, oh, Wayward, that'd be so cool if they made a TV show or something. It's like, yeah, it would be cool. But the book is the thing that I make, and that's what I put my attention into. Well, I'm not you know, here to make like, Ultimately, as far as I'm movie concerned, pitches. it's cool because it sells more books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm more than happy to have media stuff happen, but I want the comic to be the experience, first and foremost, and anything else is a nice benefit of the hard work that we put into it, rather than being like, well, I bet you... If I, you know, turn, it's basically a flipping sense of storyboards. But there's certainly, like, it's not like, it's not like digital in any way competes with paper. It's, it's more like it's growing alongside it. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm trying to convey is that over the years as I've been watching the numbers, I haven't been seeing my paper sales suffer as the digital sales grow. My monthly um, sales can drop off, but the trades are really strong. Yeah, if anything, that's the thing. If anything, what's happening now is that less people buy pamphlets each month but they do buy the trades as strongly as they ever did or more, um, or more and more and more of them are buying monthly stories digitally yeah and so the good thing is you know people ask me like oh, well, what what format should i buy it in i'm like are you enjoying it are you paying money for it as opposed to stealing it great then you're doing <laughs> you're doing it right then you're supporting creator owned comics and you're you know the most powerful thing you can do is support the work and tell other people about books you love because this market thrives on word of mouth, you know, and some of the biggest titles in this industry, The Walking Dead or Scott Pilgrim or Bone, they grew out of people who loved those books, who told everyone they knew about those books, who bought them for other people as gifts, and that grassroots growth turned into, you know, massive broad, you know, broad based uh, hits in the business. So it's it's that's how it starts and that's how it grows. So then how important is uh, something like this, the Calgary Expo, other conventions oh. that you go to that you're able to, especially for you, Ray, because I mean, one soul is really, you, you need to be able to describe that. Uh, conventions have 
a double huge importance for me. Um, one of them is, yeah, like hand-selling books. Like the, the truth of the matter is, um, especially indie books or anything weird or different or whatever, it's really, really hard to get it on retailers' shelves because retailers look at it and they're like, I'm not sure anyone's going to want this, which is like, it's. I don't blame them for that, but it's very hard sometimes to get sure. past it. If um, they look and they say, I can invest that money in more Batman. Obviously, though, know. I have a much more vested interest in selling my books than a retailer does, so when I take my stuff to a convention and put it in front of somebody, I can really hand sell it. Um, the other thing though is, um, and this is a not so dirty secret about people in this kind of industry is we spend about 90% of our time all alone in our little grotto studios and, uh, and we have no idea if anyone cares what we're doing and the worst thing in the world is to look at the internet. So the nicest thing in the world is to go to a yes. convention and meet human beings and see them smiling and, and looking at the work and excited about it. Yeah, it makes a you huge know. difference. And we get to see each other so you get to touch base you get to touch base with other creators you get to meet people who's you know you respect their work or you become friends over time and to build those bonds obviously they lead potentially to more work but they're also really encouraging and and it helps build this that sense of community it means a lot i you know uh i do about a dozen shows a year and there's that weird thing by the time you finish the convention season, you feel burned out like you just skidded to the finish line and you're exhausted. And you're like, God, why do I do this? And then literally a couple of weeks ago by and I go, oh, I kind of miss it. I wish we we're getting back into the, you know, and each spring you kind of build up this energy like we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And then you burn yourself out of crazy travel and productivity. But but you do it because you love it. So it's wonderful. It's really, honestly, I've made so many lifelong friends and friends in every port. I know it sounds really weird, but you like every city you go to, you start to recognize people. You see other people working in the business. We travel and we're constantly visiting friends in whatever city we're in or people telling us, oh, you got to go here. I know someone. They'll take care of you at this restaurant or something because someone knows somebody somewhere. It's so nice. Well, and also even as a fan, you know, I mean, Jim, you've been here 12 years I'm, I'm the only guest that's been at every Calgary Expo. I'm a barnacle on the side of the SS Calgary Expo. Kendrick Spoon, the guy that runs this show, he invited me here 12 years ago. And they were so, I'll tell you a little anecdote to wrap this thing up. Their first year, they were so afraid that they were going to lose their shirts because there's a lot of money to invest renting the space, getting all the people together, flying out guests and, and taking care of everyone. And and Kendrick's wanted to do it right. And they were like, if we can get a thousand people to show up, we will not lose our shirts. We won't make money, but we won't die on the bond. <laughs> and that morning they were there at the convention center and we were, and there was like, I think they had 10 or 12 guests and their big guest was they'd flown in Peter Mayhew, who, uh, they unbelievably got Chewbacca. I think it was the first or second year they got him. And, um, we were, everyone was so nervous and they showed up at the, you know, at the roundup center. I think it was just one little hall that they were using. Yeah, there was a huge lineup into the parking lot and wrapping down out to the street. And they were just like, Oh my God, it's happening. Yeah. And I think they had, I don't want to quote exact numbers. I think it was 1300 people or something. So they didn't lose their shirts. They did okay. And the next year was like 4,000. The next year is like nine, just like this geometric insane growth. And every year I was flogging it and I was telling people I'd open my Rolodex and ask, as many comic creators as I could to come out and support the show because they were doing it right and they were working really hard. And now it's a jewel. It's a, it's one of the biggest shows in North America. It still feels like a family to me. Everyone works so hard and does such a great job. And like you guys 
don't know how good you've got it. I go to 12 shows a year and a lot, very few of them have the kind of uh, quality in, in the way they treat everyone. Well, and, and just what a, I mean, this is going to damage my reputation as a tormented soul, but <laughs> what a sweet thing to come to a show like this and to see so many people so excited about art and comics and nice stories or good stories. They don't have to be nice stories, you know, um, thank God or else I wouldn't, <laughs> but like it's really like to speak as someone who like really does spend 90% of my time alone in my studio working and wondering if anybody's interested um, what a beautiful thing to come out to a show and to see thousands and thousands of people who love comics every year yeah That's you guys do it upright well and I was going to say just that you know because I know that I'm going to see in this case both of you mm -hmm. every year I, I look forward to that I look forward to talking yeah. to you there's a continuity of people that come every year and literally I've said to them oh you know the book's coming out in December and they go no no I'll wait till next April I want to buy it from you yeah. and I'm like really? Yeah. wow you know it feels so good and it feels like yeah there's, there's a real familiarity there and a sense of loyalty and uh, it means a lot guys so support great books thank you for uh, coming out tonight I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend uh, you're like front row have you read Freelance? yes okay so you've got it already? yes I have not. Well, you're about to because I'm going to give you this one. All right. So thank you so much, guys. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at the show. What table are you at? Uh, X9. And I'm right beside him at Which X10. Is, I think X, isn't X9 the name of like a super awesome super agent? Yes. That's right. So, and, and don't at, forget to visit the Chapter House Comics table as well. Absolutely. And they will be here. Yes. Yeah, when they get here. Yes. And we'll, tell them this panel was see. the best part of your weekend. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be able to see all those things that, uh, thank that you. these guys have talked about. That's right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your Have a great episode.